As an author, Alexander McCall Smith has taken millions of readers to the heart of Botswana through his number one ladies detective agency series. And even though all told he's written or contributed to more than 100 books, writing is still a point of self-reflection. Ideally, you want to uh, want to uh, undertake, um, I suppose, the occasional um, examination of oneself. And writing maybe facilitates that, uh, because uh, there you are sitting having a conversation with the characters in the, in the book, and that uh, probably um, helps you to, uh, to think about uh, things within, your, within yourself. In this wide-ranging conversation, we'll explore how he thinks about his characters and the beautiful African nation they live in, how he approached a modern retelling of a Jane Austen classic, and what book he considers a must-read. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Institute. What happens when you cross the 43rd president, late-night sketch comedy, and compelling conversation? The Strategist, a podcast born from the word strategery, which was coined by SNL and embraced by the George W. Bush administration. We highlight the American spirit of leadership and compassion through thought-provoking conversations. And we're reminded that the most effective leaders are the ones who laugh. Today's episode is a literary treat. Our co-host, Hannah Abney, is VP of External Affairs at the Bush Center, but more notably is the number one fan of the number one ladies detective agency. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you. (laughs) And welcome to Alexander McCall Smith, award-winning author whose books have sold over 40 million copies. His latest novel, To the Land of Long Lost Friends, is the 20th book in in the number one ladies detective agency series, and it's available now. Sandy, welcome, welcome to the Strategist, and thank you so much for this time. Thank you very much for the invitation. So, incidentally, we introduced you as an author, but you're not just an author. You're also the bassoon player for the really terrible orchestra, we understand. Well, yes. I uh, used to play the bassoon in the really terrible orchestra. I've since then uh, switched to the uh, saxophone, the baritone sax. Uh, so, this was an orchestra that my wife and I founded uh, over 20 years ago uh, for people who were musically challenged and who would like to play in an orchestra but uh, didn't deserve to play in orchestra. And so we set it up and uh, we discovered that there were an awful lot of people who wanted to play. And uh, we've been playing since then and, and going from uh, weakness to weakness. And uh, so it's, it's great fun. It's a, it's a very, very bad amateur orchestra. Well, we have uh, several authors here in the US, Dave Barry and uh, Stephen King and uh, Amy Tan. They made the Rock Bottom Remainders, who are a rock band yes. of authors. Have y'all ever talked about collaborating and doing some uh, some, some sweet orchestra tune behind we've been, rock music? We've been waiting for an approach from them, but they haven't been in touch. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't been in touch. Uh, oh, that's too bad. That, I'd, I'd pay money to see that. We should well, note that Andrew is actually also an amateur musician and he really is just was just excited to be able to bring up bands yes. in general yes but i suspect you're probably quite good uh, no i'm actually not i have to uh, i have to uh provide food and drink for friends at my house and then i surprise them with my music and at that point they can't leave because they feel guilty because i've fed them so it's, <laughs> it's really kind of embarrassing um so you began writing for really, you know, your latest book is To the Land of Long, Long Lost Friends. Um, and you began writing this series later in life yes. um, at, at 50. Yes, thereabouts. And so now that this book is, is 20 books, now that this series is 20 books deep, what have you learned about yourself on this journey? And, and how has this series changed who you are? That's a very interesting question. Uh, I suppose um, I've learned 
quite a lot about writing, and therefore one learns quite a bit about the, the way in which one approaches the task of writing. I think also it probably has caused me to think about um, some of the things that I believe in, or some of the views that I hold, um, some of my attitudes and so on, which I think often happens in life as you go through life. Um, ideally, you want to uh, want to uh, undertake, um, I suppose, the occasional um, examination of oneself. And writing maybe facilitates that, uh, because uh, there you are sitting having a conversation with the characters in the, in the book, and that uh, probably um, helps you to, uh, to think about uh, things within, your, within yourself. And of course, uh, when you've written something and you read it, you may discover uh, what you believe or think about things, uh, which is another way of, of looking at it. Because many of many of our, our views and um, I suppose our prejudices, our preferences, and so on, are uh, s- subconscious or not not necessarily articulated specifically. So if you read something and say, "Well, that's written by somebody who believes this or that," uh, it it can help. The main character in um, the in this series, um, a woman, Mara Matsue, um, is based on a woman that you interacted with one time where I've heard you talk about the woman who maybe inspired the character in some way. Can you tell us about that? Well, I think it, what happened uh, was that I saw somebody uh, who made me think I should write about somebody like that. So that's a little bit different from basing a character on a, on a real person. I tend not to base uh, characters in my books on, on real people for a variety of reasons. One of them is that you could give offense to, to somebody and they, they would say, well, you know, I'm not really like that at all. Um, so what happened in that case was that I saw a woman in Botswana many years ago uh, who uh, was uh, giving a chicken to the people with whom I was staying. And she chased a chicken around the yard and then handed it over to them, having dispatched the poor, poor chicken. And that made me think about um, writing about a woman a bit like that, but not that actual woman. So that was the the, the seed of the idea. Uh, and I think uh, writers often work like that. They see something or hear something, uh, which in itself may not be particularly significant, but that makes them think about the possibility of writing, writing something in the, in, in the future. Uh, that's uh, what happened with Mara Montsby. So I couldn't take you to Botswana and say, this is the basis of Mara Montsby. Here's the person upon whom Mara Montsby is modeled. I'm afraid I couldn't do that. I wish I could. I could take you to um, somewhere a bit like her house. Um, there are, I believe, tours in Botswana which will take you to the house in which I lived, which, which actually I didn't. <laughs> you know, I gather they've just picked a house. It's like the Hollywood <laughs> House of Walk of Stars. <laughs> and said, you know, this is where this is where he lived. Uh, but uh, I didn't think uh, I didn't think it bore any relation to where I actually did live. <laughs> that's really. But there were that's you know that's relatively harmless. <laughs> well, one of the things that strikes me so much about Mara Matsue is is she's such a brave character. Like her bravery is striking. And, and you, you wrote, as she made her way back to the tiny white van, she listened to her own breathing and felt her own heart thumping wildly. She had no idea where she had found the courage, but it had been there like the water at the bottom of a disused quarry unfathom, unfathomably deep. Did you intentionally set out to write about a woman that was so, so brave or did it just kind of happen? I think that kind of happened. Uh, I didn't really have 
much of a preconception of her when I started to write about her. I didn't really see her in any great detail. Uh, I thought of her as being what I call traditionally built. So she's a sort of fairly uh, largish lady. And I saw her with a smile, but there wasn't anything much more as far as her, her appearance was concerned. Similarly with, with her character, I had a general idea that she would be resourceful, intuitive, um, friendly, and kind. So just generally a, a, a very positive person. Uh, bravery I hadn't really thought about very much. But that I think often happens as you write about a character. The character reveals herself or himself as you, as you write. Um, and, and they acquire, the characters require, acquire a sort of reality. Um, which is independent of you, or seems independent of you, the author. In fact, obviously, it all comes from somewhere in in the author's mind. But uh, it it seems to me that I'm just acting as a chronicler of the doings of these people. That they're 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 going ahead and doing all this, and I'm just just observing. <laughs> One way of looking at it. What was it like to see your characters come to life on the screen um, in the HBO adaptation? Well, that was very interesting, actually, uh, because um, I went to Botswana uh, at the time when they were filming. So I, I saw the set and saw what was what was going on there. And uh, I, not having had any uh, particular view of what they looked like, the characters, when I was introduced to the actors who were playing the characters, uh, I was fine with that. And people said to me at the time, and there were journalists there who said, right, is, is Jill Scott what you thought Mara Watsu would look like? And I said, well, I really didn't have a particular view about that anyway, but she seems absolutely fine. And indeed she was, as were the other actors in that. Uh, uh, Annika Nonni Rose, who played Mama Kutsi, was also very good. Lucina Mzumati, who played Mr. JLB Matakoni, was, uh, was, was very good. They, they were all I think really, really excellent actors. And I think that they, they interpreted the characters correctly. Uh, I think that they, they, they behaved as, uh, I would imagine those characters would, would, would behave. So as far as I was concerned, uh, they got top marks. The production got top marks from that point of view. It also respected the ethos of the books, which was very, very important from my point of view, because I didn't want the story of Mara Matsui to be sensationalized. I didn't want it to, to include any material that would be uh, inappropriate for, for the, um, the, the portrayal of the country. And indeed, uh, people in Botswana were obviously concerned about how their country would be portrayed in this film, which was the first time that a major film was going to be done and a series after it about, about their country. So a lot was at stake. And and they did they did it with with great respect and I think sensitivity. I think they did too. Uh, so JLB says in the book, in the first book, a mechanic cannot be a poet. But my reading of the book is that, and and the books after that was that sometimes he is the most poetic character in the novels. Yes. And I wondered if you did that on. Intentionally. Well, that's very interesting that you, you should say that. Um, uh, cause I think he is quite a poetic character, but I, I hadn't, I hadn't intended him to be, cause he didn't see himself as that. He, he saw himself as a, as a mechanic. Uh, and, uh, he, but he's quite a poetic mechanic who, who believes that cars can tell us about their suffering. <laughs> you can hold their heart in their hand. You can. You just, you've got to listen to what cars are trying to tell you. 
And I think that that's probably true. You know, I'm I'm no mechanic, but I think that if a car starts to to rattle out a, an urgent mas- message, you should listen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So it is a truth universally acknowledged that the first line of a book can oftentimes be the most important, can be the thing that pulls us in. And I'm cheesily quoting Jane Austen, of course, um, and foreshadowing a question I'm going to ask you (laughs) later on. There'll be more here. There'll be more Austen in this interview. Um, But I wondered, what are some of your favorite first lines in Oh, well, I do have favorite first lines in, in, in fiction. Uh, I think the first line is terribly important, as you, as you say, and as Jane Austen is said to have said. Uh, I think uh, one that I particularly like is um, Karen Blixen's first line from her wonderful memoir of East Africa, um, Out of Africa. Uh, that first line is marvellous. I had a farm in Africa at the foot of the Ngong Hills. Beautiful resonance in that. And uh, Ngong is a wonderful name for a set of hills. Uh, I, I loved that, uh, that first line. And indeed, in the number one ladies detective agency, I pay homage to that in that um, my first line in that book is um, um, Maramotswe um, had a detective agency in, Bots- in Botswana. No, in Africa, I think I said, at the foot of the Khali uh, Hill. So uh, that was uh, reflecting that. Interestingly enough, uh, one reviewer, um, picked up on this and said uh, that I'd uh, I'd plagiarized the first time. <laughs> so one can one can ne- never be entirely sure that uh, one's allusions or one's acts of homage are going to be correctly interpreted. There are many other first lines. Um, I've got a, a very favourite one that I love quoting, which is first line of a book written by um, Daisy Ashford, uh, who was a nine and a half year old girl when she wrote it back in Edwardian times. A book called The Young visitors which is still in print it's an absolute classic but was written by this child and her first line bearing in mind it's written by a nine and a half year old is absolutely wonderful which is uh, mr saltina was an elderly man of 42 (laughs) 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 perfect perspective from that night isn't it yes yeah Uh, oh that's funny and i want to point out that that before we came into this hannah was talking about this interview and being excited about it and she mentioned that she she picked up on that homage in the opening line of of your book so she was, and she did not call it plagiarism. She she absolutely referred to it as. I'm very relieved. <laughs> it's not plagiarism, I, but I am going to stick with the Austin for a second, which is, yeah. I've read many of your books. I think one of my favorite is your modern retelling of Emma. Oh, thank um, you. And thank I, you. I wanted to know what inspired you to update such a classic. Well, it was a response to a request. Oh, really? Uh, yes, I hadn't thought of uh, of um, updating or attempting anything on uh, on one of Jane Austen's novels, and I was approached by publishers who said that they were speaking to a number of uh, contemporary authors about doing that, and they wanted to do a modern uh, modern versions of Jane Austen. And would I do Emma? And um, I, I took um, very little time to say yes. And I had great fun doing it. I mean, the various approaches you can take. One approach uh, was to, 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 to tell the new story containing the 
elements of the of the original or the, the the plot or the characters of the original the other was to just re- really tell the same story but in a modern context not everyone approved of that second approach that i took but that's the that's the approach i i took and i had great fun uh, with it in particular uh, with emma's father who i think is a, is a, is a tremendous character a very fussy man uh, with uh, a concern about drafts and whatnot so i i gave him uh, concern about um, uh, bacteria and things like that, sort of updating the thing. So it was it was great fun. It was a great treat to 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 write. Um, but I think you have to be very careful with Jane Austen because there are these people called the Janeites, of which you may be one. I, I believe yes, I believe you're are. speaking to one. And the Janeites, so you don't tangle with the Janeites. Oh, see, I'm okay with I'm okay with it. Oh well, that's a relief. That's a relief. <laughs> that means you did a good job. Of it. No, it was a wonderful read, and I, I think you're right. You did a fabulous job with, well, with her father good. and his anxiety. Yeah. And I could spend all day long talking about Jane Austen and, of course, about your book. So we'll move on to Andrew and let him ask a question now. Well, talking, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your newest book, To the Land of Long Lost Friends, which is the 20th in the series. Um, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of words in between page one and the last page of this book. How have your, your central characters, particularly Ma Ramatsue and, and Ma Matsuki, um, how have they evolved in the course of those of these twenty books? Well, I'm not sure whether they've changed too much. There have been developments in their lives, uh, because obviously over this long period of uh, literary conversation with them, one would expect something to have happened. So there have been uh, d- developments. I don't think they have changed as characters very much. Mara Motswe has remained pretty stable. Uh, Mr. Joby Matacone has probably become a little bit more confident uh, than he used to be. I think that he would um, very uh, freely acknowledge that um, he was perhaps a little bit timid to to begin with. And I think he's greatly benefited from being married to Mara Motswe. And who wouldn't benefit from that? Uh, Mama Kutsi has become a little bit more charitable in her view of the apprentices, the two apprentices. Uh, I think that's a, that's a change there. And um, her circumstances changed as well. So there have been changes in the surrounding circumstances of their lives. And Mama Kutsi has made a, a happy marriage. And she's been, uh, she's been saved from the, the relative poverty in which she, she lived. Um, her husband is, is a man of means. And so she's able to indulge herself in little things that uh, she couldn't do um, before, before the marriage. So she's able to have a few more um, pretty clothes and uh, smart pairs of shoes. She's very keen on her shoes, and uh, so so there've been those those changes. But uh, effectively, the the characters remain the same. Interestingly enough, Botswana is often said to be a character in the in the books, and but Botswana has clearly changed because uh, every country changes and it would be very surprising if over a period of some 20 years a country didn't actually change uh, very much um, Botswana has become uh, well Khabarone the capital has become bigger and um, has more of a traffic problem than it had in Mara Matsui's day uh, well in fact I shouldn't say Mara Matsui's day because she's meant to be in the present I mean I, uh, I'm, I'm not setting it in the in the past deliberately but um, certainly from when, when I I first lived there. It's uh, it's become a more bustling 
place. But the essential nature of the, uh, of the country is, is, still, is still the same. The essential goodness of the country. It's a very good country. Um, I, I'm, I think that's a really important, uh, important aspect of it. It's, it's, a, it's a fine country. And the culture has uh, survived the, some of the pressures of the modern world. So you still find the kindness and consideration, which I put center stage in these books, it's still there. It's really, in many ways, a love letter to the country. Yes. When you re- I think so, and uh, I'm very happy to uh, to to hear it described as such. Uh, I've always been um, open about about that. That I'm not writing critically about the country. I'm writing out of admiration for the country. Do you think? I mean, a lot of your readers, I think, have probably never been to Botswana, maybe never even been to Africa. Do you think that um, their sense of the country is changed after reading your novels? Yes, I think many of them do, and many of them um, report that to me. And they 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 say that uh, before they read the the novels, their their vision of Africa um, might have been perhaps a bit coloured by what uh, they read in the newspapers and and saw in the news, which which usually uh, is not necessarily the most positive view of things because news tends to be of bad things that happens. I mean, good news isn't really reported very much. And so I think that they, 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 they're pleasantly surprised to, to, to find that, um, the, that, uh, here's a positive, uh, a country with a very positive atmosphere and very positive feeling. And, um, they, they, they like that. Interestingly enough, um, some of them, uh, read the books and then go and visit Botswana. And when I talk to these people, uh, they tend to say, "Yes, yes, we saw it. It was it was as the books describe it," which is very nice for me to hear that. And they often say that the most important thing that they saw there uh, or experienced was kindness, which is which is uh, great. Um, that's that's wonderful. And people people are looking for kindness in in a world where. There's a lot of confrontation and 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 distress. I think kindness and, and and courtesy towards others are things that people rather like. And on the topic of Botswana, you wrote kind of a side story to the um, number one ladies detective agency series, the the woman who made beautiful baskets, which wasn't a full size novel but a short story, um, really about uh, and the topic of cervical cancer in Africa, which is near and dear to our heart at the Bush Institute. Um, where where did did that how did that come about i did that uh, directly to to help the um, campaign which uh, mrs bush was involved in uh, which i thought was very very fine one to to assist people in this screening program in in in, in africa so the the story was a was a, a gift to that campaign in a sense and it, it's it's a uh, it's one that is so remar- more remarkable because the message, the message at, at its heart, Mara Matsue thought about how the how people can help one another off, often over thousands and thousands of miles of empty sea. Hands can reach a very long way. She thought that's that really is at the core of of so much of that campaign is that it's not these invisible people; it's real people in a yes. real in a real world. Yes, I think that's I think that's that that's right. Uh, I think the message of 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 helping. Helping one another is is probably something which is very present in the uh, in the books in Mar- in Mara Matsui's um, vision of it and uh, and uh, I must say that I I was uh, very 
very impressed uh, with um, what um, what was being done in that particular uh, campaign. And also, I must say uh, that um, during the uh, presidency of uh, President Bush, um, the United States really helped uh, Botswana a great deal, uh, particularly uh, with uh, the HIV AIDS issue. And um, the United States really, really um, did did wonderful things in um, supporting uh, programs um, des- uh, designed to to um, help people um, suffering w- with this um, particular burden. Uh, the very large um, uh, viral laboratories in in Cabaroni, the programs which looked at um, maternal fetal transmission of of HIV and so on, uh, were. Um, heavily supported by by the United States, and I think that people in this country can be very proud of uh, what um, what was done then and what continues to be done. We went to um, Africa a couple of years ago. President and Mrs. Bush traveled to Africa for to get an update on what's happening with Go Further, which is the campaign you're talking about coming off of um, PEPFAR um, that layers cervical cancer screening on top of HIV screening. And I think it was so remarkable also to see what the government of Botswana has done with a little bit of assistance to be able to ensure that people have access to um, the drugs and resources and education required um, to live healthy, long lives. And um, to, I agree with you to your point. It's, it's very important. And I think that's also something that strikes me in your books is that issues like disease, issues like family challenges, they play along um, with these stories in a way that makes, um, makes it comfortable, makes it approachable and maybe potentially makes people think about things slightly differently. Yes. Yes. You're, you're here to, speaking of the Bushes, you're here today for the debut of the Laura Bush book club, um, with the number one ladies detective agency being the chosen book. So, and along with being an author, we've heard, we've heard already that you're incredibly well read. Um, so in book club fashion, what is the number one book that you think we should read? Oh, right. Now that's a question. <laughs> Talk about a question from left field. Yep. If that's the right. Method. We don't. That was not the smoothest transition. That's, uh, that's what you get on the strategist sometimes. Uh, yeah. No, that's uh, if, if I had one book that I could recommend you to read, uh, I think I would probably recommend a book that I have had so much pleasure in. Um, that I think contains so much wisdom and so much beauty, and that's Collected Shorter Poems of W.H. Auden. I'm a great fan of the poet W.H. Auden, and I think there's um, so much material in that book of his Collected Shorter Poems uh, to help one through life. Uh, so many wonderful insights. And when you read Auden, uh, you're in the presence of a, of a great um, um, humanitarian um, a very humane, understanding, amusing, and entertaining voice. So I recommend that um, very strongly. And I might even point to particular poems. If I handed you this book and said, you must read this book, I might say, take a look at page whatever it is. I might say that there are two lines um, in, in one of his poems, which I think could be a whole philosophy of life. Um, where he says, if equal affection cannot be, then may the more loving one be me. And that's really a very, very profound profound observation on his part. You could apply that to the issue of uh, unrequited love, or you could apply it to um, the issue of how we approach and see the world. 
That's lovely. I have one final question for you. Um, Andrew probably has more, but I have one final, which is uh, one of the things I appreciate about your novels is um, a mix of kindness and humor, not just in, in Mama Ramatze's stories, but also in, in the other books of yours that I've read. And I think that's really clear in the way that you title your novels which are just always fun to pick up and kind of chuckle at. The second worst restaurant in France. That's pretty funny. Tea time for the traditionally built. Um, the Department of what Sensitive Crimes. Yes, yes that's a new one. <laughs> they're eclectic and they're memorable and they're funny. And I wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about how you, how you name your novels. Well, it's, it's a collaborative process because uh, what happens is that I think of a possible title. I then send it to my editor in New York and also to my editor in London. And, and indeed, I have an editor in Edinburgh in Scotland, where I live, who gets involved in this and in, and my, my agents. And um, uh, we then uh, come up with uh, various um, responses to that. And so that's when uh, people might want to add an adjective or subtract, uh, subtract an adjective. I have the view that my editor in New York has got a box of adjectives in his in his office and he extracts one of these and puts them into my proposed title. So, uh, and then some titles just come to me uh, like that and I suggest them and we all say, yes, that's what the book's got to be called. You mentioned the Department of Sensitive Crimes. There was no discussion about that. That came uh, came out of the blue uh, from the sky and it it did the uh, it did the trick and there was another one uh, um, a novella in the that same series the old Falk series uh, the strange case of the moderate extremists that was a title that you couldn't <laughs> that's the political party that uh, the the central figure's brother belongs to he's the head of the of the moderate extremists <laughs> do you ever find yourself just chuckling when you're writing I do yes yeah. yes I, I I sit there and uh, I smile and then sometimes uh, uh, sometimes laugh, which can be a bit disturbing for my wife. If if uh, if a wife hears her husband chuckling away behind a closed door, <laughs> what is he plotting? Yeah, over what there? is he up to? Yeah. <laughs> well, we we are out of time. We could go for another hour, but. Um Hannah said we have to, we can't let her ask questions forever. So well, the we'll, people downstairs are waiting for you. Mrs. Bush is waiting for you. Exactly. So, Alexander McCall Smith, thank you so much for doing this. This has been absolutely delightful. And um, again, his latest novel, To the Land of Long Lost Friends, that is the first time I've said it this interview without twisting my tongue, um, is available right now on Amazon, wherever you get your books. Thank you again so much for doing this. Oh, we're going to have to edit in. We're going to have to edit in because you didn't ask the one question that we always ask our folks. <laughs> oh, What's right. That? Which is, what is the one question that no one has asked you that you wish they would? <laughs> you, you thought we were out of left field earlier. I told you, yeah, I told you we do this out of, this. I told you we do uh, out of left field sometimes um, here. I don't know. Um, I just... Uh, I, <laughs> yes. Um, I suppose I would like a question which enabled me to talk about a particular triumph of mine which might be, I'd like them to say, is it the case that you passed your marine radio operator's license first time? Is it the case? <laughs> Did yes. you? Oh, yes. that's, congratulations. That's, that's better than getting a 97 on the Secretary yes. of State. <laughs> it's in the same league. <laughs> Thank you again for doing this. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Indeed. <laughs> Learn more about Go Further and the partnership to effectively end AIDS and cervical cancer at gofurther.org. 
If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to help us spread the word about The Strategist, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening apps. If you're tuning in on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll find episode notes with helpful information and details you may have missed. The Strategist was produced by Ioana Pappas at the George W. Bush Institute in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for listening.